0: Welcome to Growing Up Beverly Hills. I'm Stacy.
1: And I'm David. We grew up together in Beverly Hills in the 1980s.
0: Forget what you've seen in the movies or TV shows. We have the real stories about real people growing up in Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills folk drop a lot of names of people and places.
1: We just can't help it.
0: Don't worry, we'll explain it all at the end of the interview in the Beverly Hills Breakdown.
1: Enjoy, subscribe, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Hi Stacy. we got a great guest today, our old friend Sean Sager.
0: It was so great talking to Sean, I'm going to name him our Beverly Hills boy, because not only did he grow up Beverly Hills, but most of his career circled around Beverly Hills as well.
1: Yeah, Sean really saw the benefits of growing up in Beverly Hills and made the most of it.
0: He sure did. He lived a very exciting life.
1: Really exciting.
0: Which includes Starting off in the L.A. club scene, he went over to Europe and became a model. Then he came back to California, cleaned himself up, and began an incredible career in visual merchandising.
1: He's had to deal with the adversity of growing up gay in the 70s and 80s, and he also struggled with addiction.
0: And through his struggles, he's maintained a positive attitude and thrived, while also paying it back to mentoring students and giving back to the community.
1: Yeah, I love how he's giving back. I think he'd actually make an amazing teacher. I see him as the role model he could have really used when he was younger.
0: Totally. Sean was a lot of fun to
1: talk to. Let's get to it. All
0: right. Hey, Sean. Welcome to Growing Up Beverly Hills.
2: Hi, Stacy. Hi, David. Thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. Thanks so much for being on. I've been loving listening to uh, everybody
1: each week. It's been great. Oh, That's great. Thank you.
0: Well, we've been very excited to have you on, Sean Sager, a good friend of ours since high school, and we wanted to hear about what you've done since coming into Beverly Hills throughout your life, and we're just so excited to catch up and talk with you today.
1: Another fellow class of 84.
2: Yeah.
0: And Sean went to Hawthorne. How did your family get to Beverly Hills, Sean?
2: Well, I'm from New York City, originally born in Manhattan, lived on the Upper East Side, and... Every summer, uh, starting at age six, my parents would send me to summer camp. I think I was around nine or ten, and normally my parents would spend their summers in Europe. That summer, they spent it in California in Beverly Hills. And I was getting postcards from the Beverly Hills Hotel where they were staying and talking to them over the phone about, their hopes to pack up and move to Beverly Hills. And then I finally got a, a postcard saying, when you get home, we're leaving. Oh, wow. I was excited and nervous. I showed the postcard of the Beverly Hills Hotel to a counselor. And he, I said, is this a good place to go? Where am I moving to? <laughs> and he he looked at the postcard and he's like, Yeah, I think you'll be okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Only the finest. We're moving to Beverly Hills.
2: I got home and the house was packed up. And we eventually moved into an apartment on North Palm Drive. We were north, but we weren't north of the tracks. You
0: weren't north enough.
2: We weren't north enough. Right. I guess I made it into the Hawthorne District. We didn't have a lot of the entertainment industry in New York. It was more political, politics, uh, kids of, you know, ambassadors. And right. It was business, different types of celebrities, but definitely not the entertainment industry. So I definitely knew about high-profile living, but to watch the Brady Bunch and then go into class with Liz, whose mom was Florence Henderson, was I was like, oh, my God. I feel like I'm living in a dream it was so surreal but some of the my fun times at hawthorne was like on the weekends laura gordon took me to nate nows for my first time in fifth grade we rode our bikes down to beverly and and that was pretty exciting there was also a wonder bread factory near my house i don't know if we broke into the property but there was always like flour and trains and we would climb the trains
0: That was on Santa Monica, right near where Santa Monica, Little Santa Monica, and Beverly connect.
2: Near Beverly Hills, Mercedes is, and um, it was just very different. And you know, obviously, our library was the library from the Brady Bunch. So cool. So being from New York and moving to Beverly Hills was—it was exciting.
1: Sean, what were your parents doing that they could just pack up and move to Beverly Hills? My mom had been modeling and
2: acting in New York since she was 16. And my dad uh, came from a a family that was uh, really based in real estate and had a very large monopoly of real estate in Manhattan. My dad was working for the family business. I think he wanted to branch out into sales, art and art dealership and real estate on the West Coast. And my mom wanted to continue studying acting. So I think they also just wanted to get out of the city. Mm -hmm. And they wanted a change. That was really where my mom wanted to go. And if that's where she wants to go, that's where we go.
0: She was such a great model and everything. Did she do a lot of her modeling while you were young living in L.A.? Or did she model mostly
2: when you were in New York? Uh, Mostly uh, in New York. And really was more of a mom and a housewife. In LA, I mean, she did some acting classes and exercise, and does did some interior decorating. But she was also the mom that was always home, making dinner every night, and took care of the house and made sure we had everything. And you know, I was going to Hebrew school at Temple Beth Am every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. I was going to tennis lessons like twice a week. I was also always in therapy. <laughs>
0: Tell us about that. Really? Why you in therapy all the time? I was just always
2: in therapy. <laughs> I, was always, I was always the identified patient. I was like a little Woody Allen. <laughs> I love it.
0: I love it. <laughs> we love it.
2: And then uh, kind of moved on to Beverly Hills High School.
0: That's where we met.
2: Which, yeah, which I was terrified, terrified to go, but... It turned out to be a great experience, and I made friends that I still have today, really memorable relationships. Yeah. Then we started going out to the clubs, and the first clubs were like Florentine Gardens and Cattle Barons, and then the Odyssey, which we used to go to,
1: where... The Florentine Gardens and the Odyssey, I remember, those were two early clubs, but they weren't for underage kids at all. You had to have a fake ID, right?
2: How did we get in? I went to Poster Mat in Westwood, and I bought the fake ID at Poster Mat. I bought like 10 of them. I had one. You had one. That Those were the fake IDs we used to get into Odyssey.
0: That is so crazy. I can't believe that- they took it. No, to- I remember going to Oz, that store up on Sunset. And I remember yeah. cutting off like a number four and changing my <laughs> birth date from 1966 to 1964. And I swear to God, the four was crooked, but it worked every time.
1: <laughs> yeah, there were stores where you could just go in and buy a pretty good looking fake ID. Yeah,
2: totally. And we had to use a regular That's pretty weird. typewriter to type it. That wasn't easy. Definitely.
1: <laughs> well, we had skills.
2: It looked it if if I I saved mine I must have it in a you box. You have it? Well, not I'd have to go through my garage, oh. you know, but I think I have one in there. It is it <laughs> looks so horrible that horrible. I I can't believe that they would take accept that at the door.
1: Well, I don't think they cared.
2: They didn't care.
1: And there probably weren't the same laws like I mean as strict as laws where you'd like lose your liquor license. They didn't have, have there, a liquor license. Like
0: at the odyssey i'm pretty sure they didn't because we
2: oh no 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 they They had alcohol oh
0: yeah you're right they had alcohol remember we'd buy amyl nitrate there
2: oh my gosh
0: that liquid stuff that you would inhale up your nose yes
2: they yes you're right
0: oh yeah that was those were the good old odyssey days
2: (laughs) i tried i did a lot of experimenting there and also i lived in a bubble in beverly hills And going to a club or going to the Odyssey, I met people from Fairfax High, Hollywood High, Hancock Park. It was so foreign to me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's how big of a bubble I lived in. Everything was literally Beverly Hills. Maybe I took a bus to Santa Monica to go to Station 4 to... Go to the beach. But like, that was about it. Maybe Century City. That was it. And I worked in, when I was, I worked my way through high school. I worked at Camp Beverly Hills.
0: So Why don't you tell us about your experience at Camp Beverly Hills and your first job there?
2: Well, I did help Brooke Shields there. Tell us. And that was like, she was the it girl of the 80s.
0: How beautiful.
2: Gorgeous. She went into Camp Beverly Hills and all the guys wanted to help her. And I was like, I saw her coming in. (laughs) I went straight for her and I was like, how can I help you? And I got her. Oh, there was probably 10 guys that worked there that were seniors. And I think I was a freshman or a sophomore. They kind of gave me a hard time because I was younger, but they also took me under their wing and I, they took me to my first Bobby Dean party. We know
0: about the Bobby Dean party.
2: And gave me my first Quaalude Lemon Seven One Four. Oh wow! It was it was a great it was a great time.
1: Let's tell our audience what Camp Beverly Hills was.
2: Yeah, Camp Beverly Hills was owned by Jeff Stein, right, Stace? Yes. And it was a branded clothing company. That had the logo with palm trees, Camp Beverly Hills, on it, and it became a across the country iconic brand that sold T-shirts, sweats, and army gear. Mm-hmm. That was styled in a way that was relaxed. It was kind of like the James purse of the eighties. Yes, would you good say one. that yes, James good purse one. of the eighties? And it was celebrity driven. It was your Drew Barrymore's, your Brooke Shields, all your young stars. Sarah Fawcett. Everybody that was hot in the 80s um, was shopping at Camp Beverly Hills. It was the place to work if you were at Beverly
0: And a place to shop. Yeah.
2: And my mom knew Jeff Stein and I got in and I got the job.
0: And also how life is, how to circle around. About four or five years ago, Sean and I got back in touch because a friend of mine reached out to me to see if I knew anyone that wanted to help relaunch the line of Camp Beverly Hills. And Sean and I were going to kind of work on that together, but it just never really came to fruition. But it was kind of fun.
2: It was fun. That place was great.
0: Great. I mean, anybody from Beverly Hills growing up in our time was all about Camp Beverly Hills, yeah. and it was just the main staple.
1: It seems like it would be something that was touristy, but it wasn't. Everybody in Beverly Hills also wanted to wear it. Exactly. Sean, you can confirm this. I heard wild things went on in the dressing rooms.
2: Oh, that I don't know. I was quite innocent. That was his early days. I hadn't been, <laughs> I hadn't been corrupted yet. I was a nice Jewish boy
0: (laughs) from Beverly Hills.
2: (laughs) I mean, everything that I was experiencing was for the first time at that time. Yeah. Uh, Very much the first time. I didn't have a lot. I didn't have a lot of experience with drugs. I didn't have experience sexually. I didn't have experience with anything at at that time. I was very innocent. I really thought a lot of my friends were a lot more advanced than I was. Yeah, I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't take that long. Quick study. I caught up. I caught up quite yeah. quick, quite quickly.
0: <laughs> so during high school, for you, obviously you you got into drugs and kind of was partying with me, yeah. <laughs> and David was there too, but not partying. But um, so you kind of got introduced to drugs. How did that take you down a dark path?
2: Well, I did a lot of experimenting in high school. I mean, I wouldn't say it was drug usage. It was more experimental. We played, we partied, we tried. Oh, let's try mushrooms. Let's try acid. Let's try quaaludes. Let's try. It was a lot of like just experimenting and having fun with friends. I don't think it got too serious. But I do think it was a roadblock for my education. Mm. It definitely affected my motivation. I already was born with ADD. And if you top like marijuana usage and other things, drinking with the ADD, I mean, I had no attention span. Like I did not want to hang out in a classroom. I couldn't focus. Smart. Yeah. Creative. Talented.
1: We'll confirm that
2: but unable to really focus and direct that. And uh, I feel that looking back today, the alcohol, the marijuana, the drug experimenting, the uh, expansion of my social life was a huge distraction from my education. Gotcha.
1: Now, did you get into this because of being around these older kids or it was just what do you think got you into it?
2: I think that I wanted to be friends with a certain group of people that looked like they were having a lot of fun. Right. And I wanted to also, <laughs> I think it was just that simple.
0: Yeah. You know, that's yeah. a really good way of putting it, Sean, because a lot of people are like, how do I get in?" And quite honestly, it's, I wanted to be with that group of people and see what they're doing. And that was a really right. honest way to say it. I love it. Thank you.
2: And we were having fun.
1: Yeah, it's honestly Tots fun. Lots of
2: fun. We're still friends. <laughs> but back to high school, I think that's where a lot—that's where a lot happened. Yeah. And I was a very creative person. Mm-hmm. I really got my best grades in art and in French. Mm. Uh, those two classes, I was always getting like A's and B's in. Where math and other, because I, I was interested in art and French. I, I had an obsession with Paris. I had an obsession with fashion. I was very different from the other guys. Maybe a lot of that came from my parents Mm -hmm. as well, but um, that's where my interest was. And I was definitely different from the other guys. I wasn't an athlete. I wasn't a jock. um, And, you know, obviously I turned out gay. And going back and looking back at that, I could see that, one... I didn't really know who I was 100% in high school. I was still finding myself. And number two, even if I had found myself sexually at that time, whether I were ready or not, being gay in the 1970s and 80s was not socially accepted. Mm -hmm. It was not embraced. Mm -hmm. It was not loved. It was different. You were different. It was unknown territory. It was perceived as
1: bad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember at a young age, it was just kind of, you know, we'd throw around insults and we wouldn't even know what it meant to be gay or anything. And it was still just like a common playground insult before we even knew what being gay meant. And I just feel such such a hard environment for anybody growing up like that for it sure is.
2: it is and today look at how much progress has happened oh, amazing i mean kids today have it so much easier then 20, 30, 40 years ago. They
0: do. Let's go back a little bit and talk about 20, 30 years ago. Cause it is quite interesting. Cause when we, the three of us grew up, it was early eighties and we yeah. really didn't know any about anything about sexuality in our own lives, you know, let alone knowing a gay person or knowing that someone else liked a different You know, partner, different type, you know, a person of the same sex.
2: Same sex. And the
0: only person that we had to look at was Boy George back then. We didn't, you know, because we all watched MTV and we saw our our people, our rock stars or models or whomever. And we saw Boy George and all the word that I only knew back then was androgynous.
2: Is he a guy? Is he a girl? Yeah. How ahead of time, ahead of his time. Was he? Yeah,
1: but he was still not even soon enough. I mean, that came in high school. He came around. So there's all of elementary school where I don't remember anybody being openly gay or lesbian, and
2: no one not until not until we were exposed to MTV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when we were able to really put a picture to the voice. Yeah, in music videos, and that's where the expression of fashion. Mm-hmm. And image and style actually came into everyone's bedroom. I agree. And then you're able to see Boy George dressed with his hair. Is it a dress? Is he a guy? Is he a girl? And other artists eventually it grew and snowballed from there, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah.
0: It gave us that way that we can accept it because we could see it, we could understand it, we could begin to learn that it's okay to be different. People are different and they're expressing themselves on MTV and we're beginning to see it and we're accepting of it.
2: And Stacy, when we went to the Odyssey, I mean, like I was saying earlier, I was in a bubble in Beverly Hills where everything was pretty and beautiful. We went to the Odyssey, it was... There were different types of people there that I'd never. There were lesbians, Gays. gay, uh, no people shirts. dressed up as Boy George, people dressed up androgynously, piercings, tattoos. We had the, the break dancers, Pauly Shore and sure. his whole group in a corner break dancing. <laughs> sure. um, it was just the most colorful expression of different people under one roof, having the best time, Mm -hmm. and everyone got along.
0: That was one of our first experiences, you're right, of free love, a place where you can be yourself. Yes. And dance, and be with each other, and have just leave your inhibitions at the door, and just be you. Yeah. And that was what clubs and the, the gay influence started to bring to our population and to people. It actually brought freedom and love out, and learning to accept others.
2: Yeah, but it's taken a long time. It's
0: taking. It's not even, you know, we're not not there.
2: We're not even there yet. But thank God that celebrities and the media and entertainment has produced so much content uh, to accept different people for us to see and for kids to see. Just like that movie, The Prom that just came out. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, elementary school kids could watch that. I mean, I don't know. It's, It's definitely getting better.
0: It is Mm -hmm. getting better, but, you know, as a pioneer going through it, it was probably not an easy time for you growing up to not be able to accept your own self and have other people accept you until you're a little bit later in life. It must have been a journey.
2: I think because of the lack of accepting that I got, it made me want to go the other way and try to be, and I'm making quotes with my fingers, Mm -hmm. normal.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm.
2: And try to conform and be like everybody else.
1: Well, I met you in high school and you didn't seem quote unquote normal or like everyone else. Thank you.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, I, and I do mean that as a compliment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think everybody accepted that about you at high school, but I wasn't being you. So maybe you had a different experience. in high.
2: Yeah, I think it's more internal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Did you feel like... By the, I'm sure earlier there was no acceptance or room for being who you were, but by the time you were in high school, did you feel like there was more room?
2: Yeah. I mean, I had such a beautiful group of friends that was so loving and embracing and inclusive. And I had girls and guys that would stick up for me if I needed it, or we just had fun together oh, and yeah. we were like a family, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it definitely was did get better as we got towards our senior year. Um, but you know, there's always that stigma. Yeah. It's just it was just a sign of the times. It's a hard time. Really hard for time yeah. for teenagers. But it was the best time of my life. Me too. It was <laughs> yeah. I, I yes. had that
0: too. It was so fun.
2: It was so much fun. It was. We had the best time. And just the fact that we can still hang out together today. No, it's amazing. And it it feels like, you know, Stacey, when we all hang out. No, it's amazing.
1: What do you think there is about Beverly Hills that makes lifelong friendships?
2: Well, you know, it's funny. When I talk to my friends today that didn't go to Beverly Hills High School, didn't grow up the way we did. I tell them some stories here and there about this one and that one. And I really don't want to be a name dropper (laughs) because that's kind of tacky. But...
1: We're all about name dropping here.
2: <laughs> they, they look at me like, are you serious? <laughs> did you really do that with so-and-so and so-and-so? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I did. So the fact that we all kind of lived in that bubble together and it was kind of like just the way it was, we kind of share something that the rest of the country would find it to be like a TV show. A fantasy, mm-hmm. um, but for us it was very much everyday li- living. Yeah, and I think that kind of makes us different, and it keeps us together because we share a common denominator. We grew up a certain way that maybe yeah. other people don't understand.
1: Well, that's kind of what we're trying to share that feeling on the podcast. Yeah,
0: yeah, I agree because it kind of feels like you know from where the people you grow up, you create your roots. And then we really grew together. We grew up together. We started to experiment together. We felt safe with each other. We trusted each other. We felt safe enough to go and experiment and and feel comfortable to return back to our friends. We felt safe.
2: But I will say that living in Beverly Hills also gave me confidence. Mm. I gained a huge amount of confidence to be able to get what I want, get what I need, get a job, um, have the confidence to achieve things in my life because I came from a place where I saw how achievable things could be. Mm. I saw success. Mm -hmm. I lived amongst people that were at the top of their careers they were successful, they were wealthy, they started at the bottom, they built their way up, they were in the entertainment industry, whatever it was, there was a huge amount of success in Beverly Hills. And I think Beverly Hills represented success. Mm. Well, I I saw people get out of trouble because they lived in Beverly Hills Mm -hmm. or they had a certain family. I saw that anything could happen, anything could be achieved. Uh, I don't want to say you could get away with anything, But in some instances, you could also get away with anything because of who you know or who you are or who your family is. And all of that gave me a confidence within myself to go after what I wanted. Mm. And I always had that in the back of my mind that, you know what? I'm from Beverly Hills. I come from a place where everyone seems to be successful and I can be that too. And I'm going to go get that job. I can find a way and I'm going to get it. I had small jobs when I was in high school. I worked at Allen Austin with you, and I worked at Camp Beverly Hills, and Barwon Teller, and Jerry Magnan and Ralph Lauren. And I always had a job. I got those jobs on my own. And I had to have a certain amount of confidence to be able to do that. And yeah. I think the city really helped with that. After high school, I tried to go to santa monica college and i tried to go to ucl extension and i didn't really want to do any of that right and um i started club promoting and i promoted a night at rangoon racket club with heidi fleiss wow, wow. that's great. <laughs> yeah. so yeah. these were
0: um clubs that you were promoting inside of in beverly hills
2: yeah. I met Heidi in Palm Springs at the Acatillo. Oh, we used to go us. to, we used to go to spring break, Palm Springs, like for sure, kind of take over the Acatillo over spring break. And, uh, so sh- her sister Shanna and I became very good friends, um, around that time. Anyways, I started doing club promoting. I, I had a night at a place at the Rodeo collection up on the second floor, bar one. Mm-hmm. We had a night there. Um, and a night at the Rangoon Racket Club, um, threw a lot of parties around town in houses in Beverly Hills. Wow. And uh, I did a night with Fleetwood Mac at SIR for a Halloween party. And wow. I got involved in a lot of charity work oh. where I would sell tables for AMFAR and APLA for AIDS. Oh, I would basically sell, there was like a $1,000 a plate and you would sell like a table for like eight or $10,000 and I would just sell tables to raise money for the charity. Right. But these events were like, Tina Turner performed at one of them, Madonna with John, wow. Jean-Paul Gaultier party that uh, performed. Major parties. These were big, big, big star-studded events.
1: Were you booking them?
2: I wasn't booking them. I found out about the events. I basically met a publicist for the city of Beverly Hills named Craig Donahue, and we became very friendly. And I was in the party promoting uh, and nightclub environment. So I knew about these charitable events happening and I wanted to meet people, network and give back. And I also wanted to be around fashion and all of these events were very fashion based. So I felt like it was a match for me. And because I knew so many successful people, I was able to sell tables left and right. It was so easy. I would just make a few phone calls. I'd sell a table here, sell a table there, sell a table there, and then I would get in for free. Wow,, right. and I was able to network and meet people and it was a lot of a lot of doors open, a lot of opportunities um come with living where where we lived, yeah, for sure.
1: Give us a picture of a wild night at the club.
2: I would say in the nineties, my drinking got much heavier, Mm -hmm. and I was afraid of drinking and driving. And because I was in the club scene, I would probably go to about eight events a night. Wow. Wow. So I would have a limousine pick me up at my house on Benedict Canyon that I rented. And I had, my roommates were Diane Fries lived with me. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Do you remember Diane? Yeah. Um, Fauna McLaren, who was Playboy's Playmate Centerfold, Wow. Playmate of the Year, uh, 29th anniversary. She lived with me. Mark Beneke, the doorman from Studio 54, lived at my house, <laughs> and a lot. Mark Venuki and a lot of interesting characters uh, lived at my house. So the limousine would pick me up on Benedict. Uh, I lived next door to Belinda Carlisle on <laughs> one side, and I had Jacqueline Bisset on the other side. It's funny. Belinda and I had a ongoing feud. Uh, we were. Arch enemies. No. Well, Stacey does not
1: want to hear that. She's a big go fan.
2: We were arch enemies. <laughs> she was getting sober. She was married to an agent, uh, Morgan Mason, and she was living next door to me. She was trying to get sober, or she was sober, and I was having p- after-hours parties at my house on Benedict three nights a week until four in the morning. So she was yelling and screaming at me to stop having parties. And my friends were parking in her driveway. Oh,
0: oh. anyways,
2: fast forward to like five years ago. Yeah. I'm sleeping in bed in my apartment in Beverly Hills. And I get a phone call at four in the morning. Oh. It's my, one of my best friends, Tom Pazzioli, who also lived on Benedict Canyon. He's a manager and a, he, he was at ICM at the time. He says, Sean, I'm in the south of France. I'm at a Cannes Film Festival. Hold on. He passes the phone to Belinda Carlisle. And she says, I'm going to fucking kill you, Sean Sager. You were the worst neighbor of my life. And I'm like, wait, what? Hello? (laughs) Uh, It's four in the morning. And they both get on the phone, and they're like, "We love you." Just kidding. Oh, that's the best. Oh my god! I'm like, she said, "I'm not mad at you anymore. I love you. It's okay. I was trying to get sober." Did you tell her you're so? Did you tell her you're sober too? Yes. Oh, my God.
0: I love really that. That was really funny.
2: Talk about full circle. That's a full but circle. But to go back to a regular night, the limit would pick me up. We'd start at, uh, you know, we'd start at Muse or Trump's or Morton's or, you know, whatever. We'd start for drinks, then go to dinner. at I don't know where we'd eat at dinner if it was Morton's or... La Conda Veneta or whatever and then we would move on to Helenas. Mm. I don't know if you guys ever went to Helenas, but that's where I met Victoria Sellers and Katia Sassoon yeah. who I ended up moving to Paris, to South of France with and Katia and I got on a plane, we went to college in the South of France and I had an entire like 3 year European experience in Europe. Mm. And I left her after a year. She was, I mean, when I met her, it was like electricity Yeah, happened. We were going out so much together and we had such a good time. And uh, she got me to Europe and Europe got me to modeling and modeling taught me about what it's like behind the camera and art direction and creativity and fashion and styling. And when I came back to LA... Um, I started working in film. I went to propaganda films and I was working for Yanni Sigvatsen, the owner of Propaganda mm-hmm. and uh, his partner, Steve. And I was on the set of like all of Janet Jackson's videos, wow. George Michael's videos, wow. Madonna's videos, the Vogue video.
0: Sean, I'm dying.
2: Oh my God. It was, And I was just a piss boy. Oh I literally, God. all I did was deliver scripts, deliver dry cleaning, deliver videos, but I was, I was in the middle of it How all. fun. Thinking, you know, I'm going to grow and work my way up to the top and I'm going to be in the entertainment industry. But it wasn't for me.
0: I, I want to circle back real quick to your trip to Europe. So you yeah. went with Katya Satsun from L.A. To, uh, to Europe, and you, from there, started modeling? Did both of you start to model, or how did those doors open for you?
2: She actually set me up with photographers and had, like, an entire portfolio taken of me because she was always being photographed.
0: I'd love a photo.
2: And um, I got to find this. We went to school, and I got straight A's, and I paid for it myself. Uh Vidal was sending a lot of money a week to Katya.
1: Just for our audience, uh Katya is the daughter of Vidal Sassoon, was and just an incredible woman. And you know, I, I remember her as in high school and just an incredible person. If you want to just talk a little bit about Katya a little, that would be great.
2: You know, she she had some demons. And she had some addiction uh, problems. Um, they were deeper than mine, but I shared my own and she had hers. So, And together we were quite a pair. Quite a match. Uh, yes. We were. spent our weekends in Monte Carlo at the Grand Casino and on yachts and boats with directors and producers. And I mean, I would black out some nights and I would wake up the next morning in our condo and I'd look at the clothes that were on the floor of mine, and I'd pull out of my pockets literally stacks of 500-franc bills oh my God. that I won at the casino, like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that I'd won, won gambling and didn't even remember Wow! How
0: I got it. So was this a fun and crazy time in your life?
2: Yeah, it was fun and crazy, but um, when we moved to Rome, it got a little dark. And we split up and we went our separate ways. And I moved to Paris on my own. And I was an agency took me and put me in an agency apartment. And I started traveling to Milan and Greece and Vienna and Munich. And I was kind of doing the circuit and doing some TV commercials, some runway, some print, some editorial. Not a lot. I was barely getting by, but mm-hmm. I was uh spending most of my time at the Bandouche and at the the Kit Kat Club and all the nightclubs in in Europe and in Paris. And it was definitely a fun time, but it was a drinking time. It was a time when I was really drinking heavily. How old were you? I was in my early 20s. You know, when I came home and moved back to Beverly Hills and got the house in Benedict and continued club promoting and partying and uh, going to the Playboy Mansion and to a, a lot of celebrities' homes and just doing that whole nightlife scene. I finally came to a bottom, a dark place where I was given an ultimatum by my family that either I get some help or I do what I'm doing, but I do it without them. Mm -hmm. So I made the decision and it really, I didn't even have to think about it. Yeah. I didn't even have to blink. I said, I'll go. Good. So I went to Promises Mm -hmm. and I went for about four months and I changed my life. Good. I changed everything. I changed my values. I changed my friends. I changed everything. And I really submerged myself in the program and in my career. Mm. And I got a job at Banana Republic as a salesperson. Yep. In Beverly Hills. Yeah. I went back to Beverly Hills. Back to saved my saved your
0: life again. <laughs>
2: yep. And I went to Banana. I went to the Banana.
0: Good. Good boy.
2: It's funny because. I was a little ashamed and embarrassed that I had to go work in a retail store after being with all these celebrities and nightclubs and parties and all that bullshit. Yeah.
1: You were very accomplished in all the bullshit.
2: Yes. and um, So
1: you kind of had to start over. I
2: had to start over and take a risk and just say, you know what, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And I end up becoming the number one salesperson in the store mm-hmm. because everyone that walked in the banana was very popular in the 90s yes it was very popular very and everyone that walked in were people that i had partied with or had a relation with and they all came to me and i styled them <laughs> and i sold them a shitload of merchandise and the manager was like how do you know so many people and i said oh well, i grew up here right
1: Well, Banana Republic started in Beverly Hills, right? And it was almost like an extension of Camp Beverly Hills. Yeah. It was kind of like the same idea, same concept. It
2: was very safari-similar. Because I grew up here and I was working here, I knew so many people. I I was selling like a crazy person. I noticed in the store that there was a group of people that were just doing the windows Mm -hmm. and the merchandising. And I was watching them. Design the store, move the product around, do the windows, and I was like, you know, I want to do that. Who how do I get over there and do that? And the manager was kinda nervous because if I would go there
0: He's losing sales that would
2: affect her that would affect sales. So I made a deal with her that I would stay if she would give me a day a week to be their slave, basically.
0: That's great.
2: And I kept selling, and they would, she would let me be their assistant for, like, one or two days a week. And while that was happening, one of my customers was Paul Marciano.
0: The owner of Guess. The James. owner of Guess.
2: And he would come in on Saturday mornings because he would walk Rodeo Drive, and he would look at the stores, and he would come into Banana because Banana was so popular, and it was doing so big numbers. And I became friends with him because I knew his wife. Kim. Yeah.
0: My brother's first girlfriend, if you remember.
2: Ah, so I knew Kim. And uh, he would come in and he'd say, Sean, how do they do the window? How do they do the merchandising? And I would get him the directive and I'd say, this is what they're using, this book here. And I would flip through it and show it to him. And we became friendly. And one day he came in and he said, I want you to work for me. Wow. And he said, come interview at my company. So I went to the interview. I interviewed like two or three times. I lied and said I knew how to use a computer and I didn't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because a computer was a new contraption back then. Yeah,
2: they were like, "Do you know how to use a computer?" I'm like, "Yes," because I figured <laughs> I, I'm going to learn. learn. I got it. I got it. I'm going to learn. And right. um, and I got the job, and I got promoted five times a Guess, and I became in charge of all windows, all merchandising. I worked on store design. I helped design the Rodeo Drive store and many others, and I traveled all over the world. And I had I had a very good run with with the Marcianos, and today they are one of my biggest clients. Yay!
1: Oh, that's great.
2: It's it's very funny. And then from there I went on to BCBG Max Azria, and I was there 10 years, and I was in charge of Windows, visual display, store design, many brands that I was working with with Max and his family.
0: Can you just quickly explain what visual merchandising is to our guests so they know that what that exactly really means? Yeah,
2: visual, visual merchandising is the connection between the customer and the store and the brand. The experience that the customer has when they walk in the store, from the moment they walk by the store and they look at the window, they probably have about 10 seconds, that window should draw the customer into the store, probably about maybe five or 10 feet. And then there's an entry table, usually mannequins, and that's supposed to pull you in even further. And your visual merchandising really creates the layout of the store, the styling of the mannequins, the product placement. And it's to create kind of a compelling experience to navigate shoppers from the front of the store all the way to the back of the store and then engage with a sales associate and create sales and affects the bottom line and the numbers. The
0: whole experience.
2: The whole experience.
0: Wonderful, thank you. Uh,
2: including the music, the mm-hmm. smell of the store. Mm-hmm. You know, all the of it's thing. tied all, in. All of it's Early
1: tied on, in. Early on, you worked at a lot of very theme stores with Camp Beverly Hills and Banana Republic. So you must have really seen the effect of it. My
2: resume from working in Beverly Hills at those stores, when I brought that to guests 10 years later, it really held a lot of power. They looked at it and they were like, wow, okay, you worked at Camp Beverly Hills, you worked at Ralph Lauren, you worked at Jerry Magnin, you worked at all these, because a Beverly Hills store is like a flagship store. It's a luxury Location. It's a flagship store. There's higher standards, and having that on the resume, it went a long way for me.
0: Good,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Good. You also saw a lot of these stores grow to be some of the biggest companies in the United States. I mean, there was yes. Banana Republic was just one store when you worked there, right?
2: Yeah, uh, there was there was a handful of stores when I worked there. But it's funny because the brands that I ended up being a visual director for, like BCBG and Guess and BB and lucky the owners of those of those companies lived in the Beverly Hills area right mm-hmm. and i was very connected to the owners of these companies and i was always a direct report to max and his wife or paul marciano or um the owner of bb i think growing and growing up in beverly hills and having the connection with the city created a bond and a connection between myself and the owners. Mm. There was there was a connection there, something similar. We're from the same world or... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's great.
1: Most people wouldn't even feel comfortable being around those people, but...
2: Well, this is where I go back to what I said before. There was a confidence yeah. in me that came from growing up in this city, a confidence that I had no problem walking up to a Max Azria and talking to him because I had spent my life in a city with very high profile people and parents and friends that it came very natural to me. Yeah. So I was Mm -hmm. able to move up a corporate ladder very easily because I had the social skills and I had the experience and the tools from a Beverly Hills lifestyle to be able to kind of manifest that into something successful.
0: Awesome. That makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And it's amazing. And it, it just shows, again, what you said, how the confidence kind of laid that fundamental layer within yourself to help you, kind of give you the ground level of confidence to be able to exceed in these high-level, high-playing areas. So good for yeah. you. Yeah,
2: but good again, none of that would be possible without the sobriety. Correct. Yeah. True. So
0: tell us how and when you got sober.
2: Well, after Promises, I was there four months, and then I moved into guests. I continued the program and the therapy and really got involved in it for my own well-being and survival. And uh, I also did use work a little bit as an addiction, mm-hmm. a little bit of transfer. Of, sure. But I, I saw it as channeling my energy into something positive. Good. Instead of channeling the energy into partying and going out, I, I really stopped mm-hmm. that. That whole part of my life was a closed book and a closed chapter that I was not going to return to.
0: And how did this new chapter of, you know, really expanding yourself, understanding who you are, your creativity is now opening, you're becoming, you know, a visual director and doing all these creative things and moving forward in your life. How did that feel? How did that skin feel being creative
2: and sober? And it felt right. Good. It felt right. And eventually, after being in the business for about 18 years, I decided to build my own company.
0: Tell us about your company.
2: So I started consulting. Um, When I left BB. I think I was either, I think I was laid off due to like financial troubles with the company. And um, I couldn't find a job in Los Angeles. Uh, The only jobs I could find were in Ohio. And in New York, Mm. and I didn't want to live there. There were a lot of retail brands in those two locations, and I didn't want to live in those places. Um, So I started consulting. I used all my networking abilities and all my connections and contacts. And I started getting a little consulting job here, a little consulting job there. Um, I worked for Hard Rock Cafe and Hermes and, you know, all different types of brands. And I was working out of my garage some of my work turned into production work where I was actually producing the um, visuals on my property. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd hire people and we'd be building things and making things. And I had met my partner at this time, uh, Bo, Mm -hmm. and he is a fine arts major and a very talented and creative uh, genius uh, in his own right. And, uh, I woke up one morning, we were doing a Macy's job.
0: I was going to ask you about that because I remember seeing your Macy's job, remember? You were putting it all together in your backyard and it was near we were having a party and and you were telling me all about it and you showed it to me and it was, tell us about it, it was incredible. We had to make
2: 15,000 snowflakes on garlands that were going to go on the top floor of Macy's and cover the entire ceiling and they were recreating a scene from the movie Elf
1: Mm. When uh-huh. they
2: cut, when he cut everything out of paper,
1: yep. Mm-hmm. And
2: we were making everything in our backyard.
1: So you weren't just coming up with the ideas; you were actually having to produce every item. Yeah.
2: And I woke up one morning. I put on my white spa robe, and I walked out to my backyard, groggy and <laughs> grouchy. And I opened up my French doors, and I saw thirteen or fourteen FITM students working in my backyard. And I said to Bo we're getting our own space <laughs> this is we're now a company we're moving i don't want these people in my backyard anymore and somehow all the stars aligned and i got a space in vernon a fantastic building and the jobs started to come and it all fell into place and here we are 5 years later and i have a wonderful thriving company and a beautiful website and a beautiful portfolio of work and I'm now on the advisory board at Fitham College for the Visual Merchandising and Communications Department, and I mentor students and I try to help them hire them, put them on their career path and send them off on their way. And I hope that they grow up into their own little consulting firms or creative directors or visual directors. and and it's a really good feeling to give back yeah. to a community. Um, and help others and uh, I think that also goes back to the sobriety Mm -hmm. and being able to show up and be present uh, not only for your career and for your family but for others Mm -hmm. and I'm very passionate about the creative side of my life so to be able to give back there was really easy for me it wasn't a huge challenge it came very naturally and organically and I really enjoy it very much wonderful
1: that's so great how is it working with your partner?
2: Not easy, (laughs) right? (laughs) (laughs) not easy, but we really balance each other out famously. Uh, We both have really high talented skill sets, but to live and love and work together is always a challenge, but we've been doing it for five years and it gets better every year. But yeah, you know, there's, there's challenges. It's not the easiest.
1: It's not any kind of work. There's deadlines and pressure. So
2: Yeah, and I wouldn't change it for anything in the world.
0: Well, that's wonderful. I want to also speak about your holiday display that you had up on Rodeo Drive this year during our 2020 pandemic. Yeah. You had this most incredible, all down the center of Rodeo Drive. It was called Visions of Holiday. And I'll repost it you know, when we're promoting our show, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your display and tell us a little bit how it was built because your mannequins and everything were built from trees and flowers. and.
2: This was interesting. I had spent my whole life walking the streets of Rodeo Drive, working on Rodeo Drive. And then once uh, we got into the world of social media and I was producing a lot of 3D visual props, um, I was walking through beverly hills and i noticed that they had a lot of instagram moments there was one on camden one on rodeo one on canon you know and there's these 3d instagram moments and i'm thinking who is doing these right i can do this our company can do this yeah and this is my hometown damn it i'm doing it (laughs) how do i figure this shit out so who'd you call I went to this is crazy. I went to a store on Little Santa Monica that was called the Beverly Hills store where they <laughs> sold like Beverly Hills t-shirts and books about Beverly Hills and I think it like was a shop, shop. It was by bank. Yeah, it was like a church shop. It was run by the city of Beverly Hills and I talked to the sales girl there and I said, I'm noticing these Instagram walls. Who's in charge of the city of Beverly Hills, the visuals, the Instagram walls and she gave me a couple of email addresses. And I started to call and email and hustle and try to like make a connection. And I made a connection with someone, uh, a lovely woman who was running the visual displays for the city. And I invited her to my studio. It was last Christmas. And uh, she said, you know, it's so funny. I'd love to come see what you guys do, but I'm on my way to Muscatel's to get Christmas decorations. And I said, you know what? Come to my studio first. Don't go to Muscatel's. I have so much stuff here. I will give it to you for free. I will donate it because I'm gonna do- I was going to donate things. I donate things every year to charity yep. and uh, to schools and creative places. So she comes to my studio and I show her all my Christmas stuff. And I say, let's fill up your car. You'll take these trees, take these decorations, whatever. And she's decorating city hall, hall with them.
0: Oh, gosh. And, uh-huh.
2: and she was so happy. And I told her that my dream was one day to be able to do one of those Instagram walls on Rodeo. And I really want to do something in my town, in yeah. my city. It would be so exciting yeah, to be able to do what I do best and give it back to the city. And uh, she said, you know, you have to be an approved vendor and there's lots of paperwork. And so a month later, I get an email with a stack of paperwork. And we filled out every form and did everything and turned it in. Never heard a word from the city of Beverly Hills until like the month of August. This was like seven months later. The pandemic came. (laughs) I was like, forget it. We're lucky we're even alive. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) And and I get a call in August from them saying, we have an idea for the city of Beverly Hills for Christmas. We want to do a runway show down rodeo drive and we think you guys would be perfect for the job you are this was so much farther from my i just wanted to do a little instagram wall (laughs) not a runway show not a runway show down the center of rodeo drive Drive. i was like whoa (laughs) so this was like way more than i expected And we were definitely up for the challenge and up for the task. And I'll say it was a challenge because this was outdoors. Everything that we designed, every mannequin that was adorned with flowers and decorations and ornament balls and the runways were lit and the mannequins were lit. Everything had to be weatherproof, windproof, Mm. rainproof, waterproof, fireproof. Everything had to be proofed. And everything had to be assembled and it all had to be put together like a puzzle very seamlessly. We had to install it over two nights. Um, We had to maintain it every like five days. We had to clean it and we had to, after it rained and, you know, it was a big, big undertaking. And it was one of the most exciting jobs of my life. And it really came around full circle From being a resident of Beverly Hills, growing up in this town, being on Rodeo Drive in the 1970s and the 80s when it was so different to where we are today. And being able to design that and then get the feedback from the city and from our friends that we grew up with and from family um, that the display actually gave people joy, pleasure, excitement, something to do, take a safe walk down the street. Um, it was really great. It was a really amazing experience. And uh, we actually won an award for it. We, that, what, I just, what award? Just, it came to my office like a few days ago. We won a People's Choice Award from a company called Windowswear.com. And they're kind of like the leaders of social media for fashion and retail and visual and Windows. And they give awards out every year. And we won the People's Choice Award for Best Outdoor display. That's awesome. For 2020. Congrats. So that was very exciting. Beverly Hills really was the, the backbone of it all. And I think my, my um, upbringing and being part of the city as a kid made this job meaningful. Mm. I don't think it would have been meaningful if, if it, or as meaningful if I didn't have the history of the city and my time spent there under my belt. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You are really our culmination of growing up Beverly Hills guest, I must say.
2: Thank you. I love it. Thank you. It Thank was, you. And it was
0: so wonderful because your display of your holiday display was just, just, I mean, I, you just took it down a couple of days ago. So it yeah. was just, it's so relative what's happening now. We got to share it over the holiday season and know that you did it. And got to honor Beverly Hills and see the beauty and the joy and know that you, our good friend, created it. It was such a joy, Sean. Well,
2: oh, thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank cool. you for what you yeah. do
0: and bringing that joy to everybody.
2: Yeah. It's been a real journey. You know, yeah. starting, starting here, growing up here, going through the fun times, the tough times, mm-hmm. kind of getting better, mm-hmm. learning, finding myself, uh, healing, healing sobriety mm-hmm. success i mean it was it's been a really amazing wonderful roller coaster journey ride i wouldn't change it for anything in the world
0: that's wonderful
2: and i love that i'm able to reconnect with old friends like you guys yeah well, thank you it
0: is know? nice thank
1: you we're gonna grow old together
0: we will grow old together because we, we...
1: <laughs> that's next on our list <laughs>
0: growing old growing
1: old together in Beverly Hills <laughs>
0: Growing old <laughs> in Beverly Hills.
1: We have to move to the desert to do it right. Stacy's already there. I'm here yeah. waiting
0: for everybody.
1: Yeah, we got to christen that house.
0: We do. We, I need everyone <laughs> to come in and de-COVID this house.
2: Well, this show was fun, guys.
0: Thank you, Sean. It was so great having you today on Growing Up Beverly Hills. We're looking forward to seeing you soon.
2: Thanks, Stacy. Yay. Thank you. Thanks, David. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: It's Beverly Hills Breakdown time!
0: Beverly Hills Breakdown!
1: Let's do it, Stacey. Sean worked at a lot of clothing stores in Beverly Hills. One of the main ones was Camp Beverly Hills that he worked at in high school.
0: The most happening store that you could ever have in Beverly Hills.
1: It actually started in 1977.
0: Thank you, David. Tell us the scoop.
1: Well, I don't think I ever wore Camp Beverly Hills clothes myself. but David... It was there. I don't it know. It was there. <laughs> Everybody else did.
0: Everyone but you had Camp Beverly Hills.
1: Yeah. And I'd probably wear one now, but they're not making it.
0: Only because it's so vintage you would wear it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> now. Uh, probably way too popular for me at the time. Yes. Then he worked at Banana Republic, which started in 1978. And I thought it started in Beverly Hills, but actually the first store was in Mill Valley. But Beverly Hills must have been very soon to follow.
0: That would have been their main flagship store in the fanciest town in the country, Beverly Hills.
1: And it was nothing like what you would think about Banana Republic today. They actually called it originally the Banana Republic Travel and Safari Clothing Company. It looked nothing like it does today. It was really... Uh, staged, like you were going to go on safari and everything was safari themed.
0: I remember it was totally walking back into time. It was full on safari with little jeeps around and just they decorated it and it seemed like a safari, super fun.
1: Yeah, it's no wonder that Sean got really interested in visual merchandising because his experience at Camp Beverly Hills and the Banana Republic were really themed and really relied on visual merchandising.
0: For sure. So he probably learned it there, probably not even aware of it until he discovered it. And he's so talented at visual merchandising.
1: Then he also mentions Katya Sassoon. And I think we'll talk about her more on another show when we have a guest who knows her better. We'd love to have her sister Eden on. Her father was the hairdresser and entrepreneur Vidal Sassoon.
0: Oh, yeah. No, he was the most iconic hairdresser there ever was. It started in probably in the 70s and 80s. And Katia went to school with us, and she was just a great girl.
1: She was a really special person. You could tell there was something about her where she'd be famous. And by the age of 15, she married a classmate of ours and started modeling and acting. Wow. Tragically, she died at the age of 34.
0: Oh, so sad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Then Sean lived next door to Belinda Carlisle, one of your favorites, Stacey.
0: Yeah, I love Belinda Carlisle. She's in my favorite band, The Go-Go's. She was the lead singer, and she's also an author. And I even even read her book. So I love Belinda Carlisle.
1: Everybody knows her from The Go-Go's. I think we might have even seen The Go-Go's together back in the day at the Greek theater.
0: I think you're right, David. We probably rocked out at the Greek to The Go-Go's.
1: The Go-Go's first big record was in 1981, so that was really at the peak of high school. So it must have been quite a thrill when Sean realized that his neighbor was in the Go-Go's.
0: I know. I was so excited when he said he lived next door to Belinda Carlisle and was not getting along with her very well, but...
1: Well, he blew it. He blew it. Now it it sounds like they're on better terms.
0: Yes, and our lips are sealed.
1: (laughs) Go-Go song. Or was that a Bengals song?
0: (laughs) Go-Go's, our lips are sealed. I hope.
1: Okay. Sean talked a lot about these clubs that were just starting in LA when we were young. And one of them was the Odyssey.
0: The Odyssey was located on Beverly Boulevard, right by La Cienega, actually across the street from Taco Bell. And it was this nightclub that was so awesome. We all got to go in. And it was your first place, Sean tells you in the episode, that you can experience kind of like... All different types of people, gay people, straight people, dancing people, shirtless people, drunk people, and high people. It was an unbelievable time, and it was so much fun that I, that we all had the opportunity of going to the Odyssey in the 80s.
1: You could have had your dream day. You could have spent the day at Kittyland and gone right across the street to the Odyssey, but Kittyland was already closed by that time.
0: God, David, I wish that was my dream day.
1: Well, I think that's it for the breakdown. Join us for the next episode. We have more great guests coming your way.
0: Thank you. Can't wait to see you soon.
1: Like us on Instagram and Facebook.
0: And do us a big favor. Can you share on, on your social media our pages, please?
1: And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and review us on where you're listening.
0: Thanks so much. Help us out by sharing all of our social media posts.
1: Talk to you later.
0: Talk to you later. Suicide has personally affected my life. If you or anyone you know is struggling or having a hard time, there is help out there. Please reach out to the Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255.